Welcome back to another episode of Clear the Air, the Simply Stogies podcast after show. I'm your host, Tim, and as always, I bring James and Nick back to the microphone so we can talk a little smack about the most recent guest on the podcast. This episode, we're going to talk about Nick Malello, Foundation Cigars. I'm excited. Uh, first, let me introduce the host, James. What you smoking? How you yeah, doing? I get to go first today? Holy shit. This time, this wow. time. Wow, I, I must be on your good side. Maybe it's because I haven't yeah. talked to you in a, a few days and you just forgot what an asshole I am. Uh, I am smoking the five-year anniversario El Wawense, the wise man from Foundation. Um, I've got two more of these left in my humidor. i got a bunch of the David and Goliath as well, and I figured I'd smoke this uh, because we're talking about the Nick Melillo episode. And if this runs out before uh, uh, we get done talking about it, uh, I've got a charter oak. Lonsdale uh, Maduro uh, from uh, Foundation as well. It's very good to be here, Tim. It's very good to see you um, on the uh, monitor here in front of me. It's good to see uh, uh, my co-host, my friend, uh, Nick Sears here as well. Nick, how you doing, buddy? I'm well, but I'll let uh, Tim introduce Why? Me. Why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Holy shit. Wow. Oh, it's his great. show. It's that's his great. show. That's great. Yeah, I'm smoking uh, a Charter Oak as well. I've got, uh, I think, about seven left in uh, my humidor, and I think we were talking about this a little earlier. I think I bought them 2021, maybe, uh, so they've been there a little bit. But anyway, uh, again, let's introduce Nick. Nick, how are you doing? <laughs> what are you I'm, smoking? I'm doing well. I wish I could say I was smoking a Nick Malillo creation because I do – uh love the guy. I love what he makes. He's one of the good ones out there. But I happen to be smoking a 2016 Monster Series. Just cracked open the box. Actually, I don't want to take credit for all these cool cigars that I smoke. I do have to give a plug to a good friend of mine, uh, an attorney. And I don't know anybody that has more cigars than my good friend, Dominic Chialella. He's an attorney here in New Jersey. We've been friends for a long time. We smoke often. And he is the source of all the cigars that I smoke other than my own. He feeds me with everything. Hey, give me your opinion on this one. Try this one. Try this one. And I have smoked everything under the sun and just some cool, cool stuff. And so he had the box of 2016 that he just cracked open uh today and then we got a box of 2017 that will crack open tomorrow so i'm smoking for the month of october and halloween the tatua that's Monster that's awesome series. you know this comes out the second week of november um <laughs> oh okay <laughs> we don't time, time travel, 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 yeah. travel. Uh, terrible yes, time travel forget, which one is that which 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 monster series is that this it's actually the kruger Whoa. 2016 that's the o from the yeah. og box that's seven years of age on that thing seven how is years. it how's yep. it you have to see the the cellophane on this thing i threw it out it's, well was it it's you know yeah all all pete all pete stuff uh not all but most of his stuff tend to go on the bolder side of flavors which i can appreciate especially in the evening after a good meal uh i like pete stuff as i mentioned in the interview we did him and I have a uh, a bond over the love of Cuban cigars, which then transcended into making cigars of our own, uh, using that palate as a reference. In Pete's case, um, he's gone totally different direction than I have, but uh, obviously his stuff 
sells and uh, it speaks for itself and he's done very well for himself and he's another one of the good guys out there so i think you officially might have just said more words than you said on the entire episode with nick um but <laughs> oh yes that's true that is you know true. i don't i just, why does no. it feel like bash on james day that's what it feels like here it's simply say, bash on james day i apologize uh to mr Sears a- after that episode because i i did real and and, and and what I said to James, look, I very comfortably and fittingly wear the hat of co-host. If everybody, anybody asks me, you know, about, no, I am the co-host. I am the somewhat color commentator, and I have no problem taking a backseat to James's interviewing uh, style. He does a very good job. I just hope I can add to the interview. And in that particular interview, uh, Nick had so much to say and we were short on time or so we thought, and, uh, I didn't want to derail it. I mean, I had some good questions <laughs> we ended up asking after the show, which oh, hopefully would have, you know, we should have been on the show, but I didn't want to derail it because, you know, you give him a question and it goes off on a tangent and he was on a, on a mission. And I think we did, uh, James did a fine job of, uh, getting all the information out. I think Nick enjoyed the interview. Oops. Sorry. Just bumped the uh, camera. Um, and it was a great interview, and it was great to uh, have some virtual FaceTime with the Honorable Nick Melillo. No, he is – I don't know what his title Knight is. Commander? You know, he's got the – Knight Commander, but it's like do they call him Honorable? Do they call him His Excellency? They have some type of uh, – I'm not no, kidding. They, yeah, there's you know, a thing for like, it. Yeah, there's right, something yeah. really? I, I don't – yeah, yeah. With, uh, see, that's the thing. So that was one of the questions that you asked him, I think, after, after the show was over that I really wish you would have asked during. But again, like I said, I kind of bulldozed the whole thing and I don't mean to do that. Um, and Nick knows he can always just be like, Hey, James, why don't you shut the fuck up for a second and let me ask a question? Well, you know, I, I was looking for those, you know, windows of trying to get some questions in. But again, I was also very cognizant of his time. And as uh, uh, also a history buff, not to the level of Mr. Melillo, by no means, I do enjoy history, especially when it comes to do anything with with um, cigars and, and things like that. And also religion. And he uh, has some religious, you know, background and I mean, spiritual more than religious, you know, his stuff with Bob Marley that we really didn't go into uh, his love of music, which, you know, I, I was in the audio video business and. It was the the love of music that got me into that business uh, for so many years. So, yeah, we have a lot of shared interest, and he's a very, very interesting guy. And we could have spent hours with him just going over all the stuff that literally he does like to talk hours. about. Like you're not yeah, wrong; it yeah. could have been hours. But he did come uh, at the very beginning of the uh, like when he first jumped on. He was like, "Hey guys, like I just want to let you know, like I need to go in an hour." I'm like, "Not a problem." Like we usually try to keep it to an hour, like not a big deal. We got started a little bit late. I think uh, about 10 minutes late. So I was like, all right, 50 minute interview. Fine. I think I ran five minutes long. So uh, James, I'm, I'm going to give a little behind yeah, the curtain. Uh, so that's, that's what I, we're I, here for. Yeah. This is what the show's about. And I think this is the place to mention this. I said to James, if he doesn't already know this, and I'm sure he does is as a guest, you don't know if you're not sure who your interviewers are going to be. Uh, you want to give yourself an out. So like if stuff goes south or you just don't like the direction it's going, you can go, hey, guys, I promised you an hour. I got to yeah. run. 
And so he could, you know, gracefully bow out. I think he would have been fine. Maybe he legitimately did only have an hour or so, even though he spent an extra half hour afterwards, uh, say 90 minutes. The point of it is, I think most people will say that because not that it's wrong, but there's a lot of podcasters slash interviews out there. Their stuff can go three hours, no exaggeration. Plus, I've done those shows and there's nothing wrong with it as long as the conversation is flowing and people are willing to listen to it. But I think one of the things that I said when I got involved with the show, some of my um, points that I thought we should stick to in my input was one, we should do a video element to it because that's the future. I believe even though people are into, uh, you know, podcasts and audio, I think the video element is something that will go down uh, in posterity as being the better format uh, in the future because everybody's more visual. And the other thing is, I wanted to keep it to a tight, you know, hour, you know, hour, 10 minutes, because it's hard for me to recommend to my friends, family and say, hey, listen to this podcast. And it's three, four hours. Now, right. we know that cigar people, if you're on a long road trip or you're going to do, you know, three hours, you could break it up with a podcast. You know, you'll do an hour here, an hour there and it flows. But for most people, when they see that it's three hours, they're like, oh, geez, this is too long especially, you know, people that I know that, you know, they love cigars, but they're not going to want to listen to me talking and bantering on for three hours. So I, oh, again, I hit the camera. Uh, so I think that, so <laughs> I keep bouncing. First, first time doing this. I remember. Yeah. I first, remember first, first interview. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, uh, so I'm going to make up for not speaking at all on the, <laughs> on the actual interview and doing all the talking on the after show. How's that, that works guys? for me? Uh, that, that sounds great. Me. I'll be yeah. back in about 15 minutes. Take all right. No, I, I mean, and you're not wrong. Um, Nick, you're not wrong at all. So I, part of the, part of the thing for me is like, when I think about things like that, you're right. Probably giving himself an out and it's only the second time he's been on the show. Now we've been doing this. We've been around for four years. And in the, that four-year time, he was on in the first year, and now he's been on in the fourth. Like, we're finally getting around to getting people on this year for the second. And some, in some cases, third time on the show, especially if they're, they're you know, well-known in the industry. And like, like I said, Nick blew up this last year um, with his number one cigar of the year with the uh, uh, Olmec. It didn't hurt. No. It didn't hurt his no, business. No, not at all. Sure. And so he's kind of, I, he's a, he, his time is a commodity. And so I was trying to be very respectful, respectful of that. So I think I went five minutes long. I think we ended it at like 8.05 my time. Um, we got out and I apologized and he was super cool about it. And he was like, hey, no, it's all good. Like, and then he stuck around for another 15, 20 minutes and he talked with us, um, which was great because I like to have that. And, and it, it, for me, if they do that, it shows, it tells me that they had a good time on the interview. Like it was, it wasn't a bad interview at the very least. Like they, they kind of got something out of it and maybe they kind of know what, who we are going forward. And we've kind of have it. And again, I'm not patting myself on the back at all because we've, we are still, we're still learning. We're still, there's the learning curve we're trying to get over and get over that hump. And I mean, our numbers continue to go up, but I mean, we're still trying to get there, right? We want to be, uh, more prominent in the industry want people to know who we are and so hopefully you know with interviews like uh like the one we had with uh, mr melillo it would uh, that will happen you know and bringing nick on was part of that and and doing this stupid show with tim is part of that <laughs> it's the best part no i was gonna ask because uh he was on simply stogies in 2019 and i was just curious was 
did he do the same thing then and say, Hey, I've only got an hour or an hour and a half. No. Um, so it, most likely he legitimately had, I think a time he did, back. or because he is, his time is a commodity now. And he, he, he kind of yeah. has blown up, uh, in the, in the last 12 months that, you know, Hey, I'm going to give myself an out if this doesn't, if this is like Nick may, might be onto something. And I have no problem with that. If they tell me up front, Hey man, like I've only got X amount of time. We'll, we'll get it done. We'll get it done in that amount of time. Like I, it's to me, it's not a big deal. Cause it's a, it's a conversation. It's a con like the whole concept of the show. And I think we talked about this a little bit last time, but the whole concept of the show is, is that it's a conversation that you would walk into um, and be a part of at any lounge you walk in into. Right. So, and, and what's great is that conversation uh, includes Nick Cirrus who is a, a, not only in, 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 I'm going to talk about you, Nick, and not to you for a second. No, please. Um, <laughs> he's like, please, <laughs> please keep talking. Cause you didn't do enough of that on this. Fucking no, episode. no. I, I mean, please like, please. Well, uh, he's an industry. In, well, let's, he's let's, an industry. Let's talk about the master. Right, blender. Master blender. I'll just keep saying that. Yeah, there it is. Okay. <laughs> there it is. There's that look. <laughs> oh, I'm going to kill you. Uh, somebody is not just an industry insider, but he is knowledgeable about tobacco he has a passion for tobacco he has uh you know like i said like between him and and, and nick Malil, they've forgotten more than i'll ever know about the industry so to be able to ha walk in for our audience to be able to walk in on a conversation that includes my dumb ass sitting around talking about whatever it is we're talking about but then to have nick come in and actually have speak from a position of authority which is what he does whenever nick talks about cigars he is talking about it from a position of authority, just like when Nick Melillo talks about cigars, he talks about it from a position of authority. When I talk about cigars, mine is from a position of enthusiasm. I, I am passionate about this hobby. I'm passionate about the life. And there's a, there's a big difference between just being passionate and having that knowledge that, that Nick squared had on that episode. So I think for me, it, you know, I, it doesn't matter how long they give us, um, it's it's like walking in for an audience and and listening being able to listen in on a conversation that that you know hopefully they get something out of I feel like there was somewhere that you were going with that and I wasn't expecting for you to just, just stop, stop. I just stop just stop I looked over at Nick no, and he looked uh, bored and I was like ah oh. no 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 it's, you know. <laughs> if I'm losing Nick I'm losing everybody else I'm gonna shut up no. Nah. No, and I mean, I was going to try to segue because when Nick went on his uh, very long introduction, he kind of mentioned, <laughs> and, and it's good, it's good, because you mentioned like five things, right? And I'm like trying to remember all five things. And I think the only thing that I kind of want to sidetrack and hit is you said video is kind of the way the way to go. And you're seeing a lot of people moving towards the video platform compared to just the audio. And I'm, and I kind of, this is more for probably you, James, because, um, a lot of the podcast platforms that we've used for so long, uh, like Stitcher and, um, I think Google podcast is gone now and, and they're moving those platforms elsewhere. So do you think that audio is struggling a little bit or no, I don't no? think, no, no, I don't think it's struggling. It's just, you know, with the, uh, smooth draws radio show that I was on. That was my goal towards the end. Uh, well, you know, unfortunately for people that don't know, the host of the show passed away um, 
somewhat unexpectedly. I mean, he wasn't that old, but he had some health issues and uh, it was a sad time. And we were just transitioning. I was just starting to teach myself that part of the business and and do the video side of things. And I thought that that really, and that was literally five years ago. And I kept saying, we need to have a video side of things because I think generally people that love podcasts, they're going to continue to love podcasts, but new people with all the video type things that are out there with, uh, you know, Instagram being a video platform and Facebook being a video platform and, and all those types of uh, outlets Everything's about video. And, and I think the younger folks look at audio incorrectly, I might add, but look at that as like, you know, what, what radio was to, to TV. And so TV, once TV came out, nobody listened to the radio. Not really, but, you know, for the most part, yeah, you know, but I love audio and, you know, the original serials, you know, before there was TV, you know, the, the theater of the mind there, there's just, something there. And with, with audio, you can also do other things like drive and, um, you know, get things done in the office. You can have it on the background. Uh, so there is definitely, it's not the death of audio podcasts by no means, but I think adding the element to reach a larger segment of the audience that maybe that ah, I just want the video. Cause I've heard that from people. Oh, there's only vid audio. Ah. But again, I think that's that percentage of the business is going to grow because people want more video, the younger folks, as I said. And, uh, you know, so I thought it was an important part. No, and you're right. It is an important part. And, and media is always changing. It's, it will always be changing. You know, print is print dead. Probably. Uh, but, but not completely <laughs> uh, is radio dead. No is satellite radio dead. I don't know. Is that even a thing? Like media is always changing. And in, it, it was, I was curious to see at the at the beginning of this year if moving to video was going to have any impact on on our audio on our audio only numbers and they they haven't. In fact, our audio only numbers continue to move up and our video numbers are kind of all over the place. It just depends on who's on and it, it's up, it's down, it's up, it's down. Um, you know, so it's just we're we're adding another we're like but it's in the earlier stages oh, sure, too. I sure. think in the future, you know, it'll grow. And also people can go back and watch the video. Like maybe now you have X amount of views, you know, but two years from now, five years from now, people can go back and watch those videos. And uh, so it's kind of there at our library. And, and that's a good point because with like, you really want to know how the sausage is made. Here it is. Uh, when you do an audio podcast, uh, you have to host it somewhere. It has to be hosted. Just like when you do a video, it's hosted somewhere. It's hosted on YouTube or it's hosted on Rumble. We don't pay for those. Those are free for right now. And you can upload as much as you want, as much content as you want, and it's all free. When you do an audio podcast, it creates something that's called an RSS feed. And that RSS feed is what feeds all of those podcatchers like your Apple, your, your Apple podcast, Google Podcasts, um, Spotify, iHeart, Spotify, Amazon, yeah. all of those places where you can get, get podcasts. Uh, well, you have to pay for that. And that's part of the cost that we go in that we, we, you know, have to do every year. Uh, and, and so it, it's, it's just, a, it's a different platform. I don't think it'll ever go away because people are always in their cars and they're always listening. And like I said, the, the listenership audio wise continues to grow. Uh, and a lot of that is due to our listeners 
letting their friends know like, Hey, you got to listen to this podcast. Like this guy's an idiot. Like go check him out, but he's got Nick on that guy knows what he's talking about, but this guy's going to fuck it up. <laughs> like it's always funny. And then you talking about Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on which podcast. No, yeah. No. We might be talking about Tim. Um, like he said, Potomac. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So I, that's what people tune yeah, in for. That's what they tune in for. But yeah, like it, it's just a different, it's just a different platform. And I'm, I'm happy to, uh, so far, all of our guests that we've had on have been very open to that, but uh, you know, they're on YouTube shows all the time. They're on Instagram shows, that kind of stuff. So I don't think it's anything, uh, new to those in the industry. They're used to it. And so I'm happy now that we have, we have, you know, the studio built and everyone, like we kind of figured out where we're all going to be and what to do. Like, look, if I had my druthers, if I had a $10 billion fucking budget for the show, what I would do is like, we would like for three months out of the year, we would just record podcasts at a central location, the three of us. And we would fly our guests in to do the podcast with us, smoke cigars and then fly them home. Right. We don't have that kind of budget. So we have zoom or Riverside that we're using for, for this. And, and uh, yeah, technology's come a long way since I started doing this fucking 15 years ago. Like Jesus Christ. A long way. Well, it's come a long way in the in the few years that I've been doing this. So, I mean, it's it's a constant learning and growing pain, I suppose. It's a constant pain. Yeah, I, I remember, you know, doing the radio show. I used to have to fly into Atlanta every week, and it was like, obviously, it was an expense. Um, then I ended up buying this special equipment that I forgot what it was called. It's been so long. But the it was hardware that would connect and give you a really, really good radio quality audio, which you couldn't achieve because the only thing really kind of out there at the time was maybe Skype. So we used to use Skype as like so we could see each other. So we didn't walk all over each other when we were, you know, different locations. And for the majority of the of the uh, broadcast that we did, most people had no idea that I was doing it either from Florida or from New Jersey. Um, the quality was there because this thing was like two grand, this, this piece of equipment. So now, you know, we don't have to have those types of things because the audio quality is so good through the internet and with the added bandwidth, just in five years, you know, everybody has, you know, one gig bandwidth and this and that. And it's like, it's just gotten so much better. And, you know, I love technology and it keeps getting better and better. You got to love technology. Cause if you don't love technology, even a little bit, I don't think you could really, sit down and do this for so long no but we got off track we, did. we, we got off track at all we did um, sorry Cheerful. about that everybody but you know hey it's my show if i want to if i want to derail it i can gentlemen and you uh, did james this is your wants fault. to derail it i, I don't accept Whatever. that i don't tolerate it it's not going to happen um <laughs> uh but one of the things that uh there's actually quite a few things here but I like right off the bat, uh, it all starts with the blend and then adding cool packaging and then the story and how that's all marketing. And that whole piece kind of hit me because there's a, I've heard that term a lot. It's all about the packaging. It's all about uh, the, the story because uh, the, the stories is what pulls people in. And for me, I've known of Foundation Cigars for a while but this episode and hearing Nick talk about, you know, the stories of where his cigars came from was really interesting. Um, but he also mentioned that along the way, 
new customers, new enjoyers of his cigars come in, and then plus the brand fans. And I know that we're all fans of at least one brand. And so it kind of made me think like, man, there's these little cults out there for these, for these, uh, for the different manufacturers and so forth. And, uh, so I, I don't know, for me, I could, I've told my story a whole lot. Everybody knows who, uh, James is a fanboy of there's many, um, <laughs> we see it constantly, but I'm also curious, Nick, um, as a manufacturer yourself, um, who are your brand fans? How many fans do you have like that cult that follows oh, wait, you wait, wait 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 let me let, uh, nick let, give me a second here give me a second here. <laughs> because nick does have a lot of fans and and his reach is worldwide because of where he started yeah. and and where he's at um you know be, coming from that 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 cuban background and you know learning at the feet of the masters in cuba and i've said before that the his, the lh claro is as close to a Cuban cigar as you can possibly get without it being a Cuban cigar. And it is fan fucking fantastic. And Nick, like when you think about like, look, we've talked about him on the show, those guys in Australia and I, and I'm not going to try to slaughter his name. Right. Cause it's a Greek name. Like Nick would probably be able to like, but the guys in Australia that want to herf with us. Right. And they're always commenting on our YouTube, oh, yeah. on our YouTube channel and stuff. They're not, I hope they're fans of ours now, Tim, or at least mine. I could give a shit if they like you. Um, well, I was yeah, about to say the yeah, same thing, but they're fans of Nick's and like they, they hang out, like they get Nick to go on at like four o'clock in the fucking morning and he's like up doing like herfs with them and shit. Um, so yeah, like he definitely, like Nick, you definitely have a fan base that is like worldwide. It's just spread out. I mean, I, you know, I don't have access to the, to the numbers and the things that you do with the show. But, you know, it's funny when we were doing the Cuban series, I'm like, how many people are listening in from Cuba, you know, and surprisingly, there was more than I thought, because over there, Internet access is not just a commodity that everybody has here. It costs money for them to listen, you know, and it's probably the most expensive Internet out there to this day still. But yet we still had people listening and. And I, I said, well, that's the Cuban government, you know, that's Habanos, <laughs> you know, those are the people that are listening. The reality is, and then of course, certain people, expats and, and people that are there. And I guess people that know me in Cuba, cause you know, I have spent quite a bit of time over the years over there. And then we have the Middle East guys that also listen in and, uh, Eastern Europe. I mean, they're out there. So, you know, my, 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 the people that listen to me or that know my cigars are, are not just one concentrated area. You know, there's certain people, uh, like Oscar comes to mind, uh, Oscar Rodriguez of GTO. Now his concentration is Alabama, Georgia, f and Northern Florida. And he makes no bones about it because that's where he spends his time. And he's got a lot of shops in that area. So I would assume that's most of his fans are from that area. I don't really have that. Even in the States, people go, where are you in? I'm like, yeah, I'm in a lot of States, but you know, I have like two shops or three shops. I don't have, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, with, without having a good solid broker background of, of people, you know, I have a few brokers, but not enough. So I don't have the, uh, I'm gaining new retailers every day, you know, and, and I like that, but it's, it's hard when you're kind of a one man show in that regard where I'm, making the cigars, promoting the cigars and, and selling the cigars. And, you know, it's, 
it's it's not a hard thing because obviously I believe in what I do. And but when you make your own cigars, you know, it's your baby. So I, I take it a little differently than uh, I think like I've told James off, you know, off air that like it's a lot easier selling something that you didn't make. Because, you know, like if I was just selling widgets or and working for a company selling stuff, I, I think I'd be having an easier time selling it. But I don't like to even use the word sell. I just like I like to introduce people to my blends and hopefully some of them will like it and go back and smoke them again. And and for me, again, I've mentioned this many times, that is the best you know, reward that I could possibly get is when people enjoy my cigars because I know what went into making those cigars, what every manufacturer puts into it. Um, you know, but I'm the face, I'm the maker, I'm the seller. So, you know, I wear a lot of hats and a lot of people do in this industry and, and business, but, you know, I've enjoyed what I've done to date and, I, you know, plan on continuing forward. But you were asking me a question before Jim, uh, before James jumped in there. I forgot what it was. Shit, I forgot what it was. I guess <laughs> I was going to answer, and then James goes, "Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me let me say something." And I no, don't remember are, what the are the Colts? You know, because they're out there. Are they good for? Oh, I mean, they're yes, obviously yes, yes. good for a a brand that that okay. cult follows. But for the industry, now, when you the say whole, the word cult, the uh, first I, one that comes loosely. No, 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 no. Listen, the first brand that comes to mind is the brand, the cult. That has bred two other brands that the cult follows. And we're, I'm talking the cult of Drew Estates. That is really about as close as a cult as you can get. They are the ultimate fans that just follow them like a religion, you know, and uh, they are everywhere and they seem to be very active, not only on social media. So, of course, two of the offshoots of the Drew Estates cult to use. That word, and I don't say it in a negative way. I mean, no, it's no, literally no. A, a just a brand awareness and and loyalty that just goes beyond anything else that I've seen out there. Well, two of the guys that worked there that were very instrumental in the uh, what I say real cigars, meaning not flavored cigars, is Steve Saka and Nick Melillo. So those two guys had the you know the privilege of being involved in those you know, non-flavored cigars that came out of that factory and that really took the world by storm. And when you have a team and a company like Drew Estates behind it, it made those cult classics. And those guys then each went off on their own and they were able to take that fan base or at least a good percentage of that fan base as their core. Like I've said before, like Steve Saka at the trade show that he first introduced, I you know, I, was, I had my booth there. And he was kind of close, and he literally had a table. I don't even think he had a banner. And there was a line. line. He didn't have any cigars, and people were just signing up. I'm talking retailers were just signing up, knowing, okay, this is Steve Saka. I'm going to buy whatever he makes. And I'm sure Nick had the same you know, success because of that fact. Now, did they, did they um, not do – justice by those retailers absolutely not they they both make incredible cigars so they knew what they were what they were getting involved in and that's why they were they were getting involved with them sight unseen or smoke on smoke you know um so yeah they the cult helped and then as nick was saying he's gaining new you know followers daily i mean he's uh with his connection to to joe rogan and all his history stuff 
I mean, he uh, usually, yeah, marketing pays a big part of any brand. And if you want to be a big, successful brand, normally you have to do quite a bit of marketing to to get ahead quickly, I should say, or more or more rapidly. And those guys, they don't really market as much as some of the other brands that are out there, but yet their market share is exponentially more because of that cult following that is their base uh, followers. And then from there, it's just gone up. So to answer your question, cults definitely make a impact in a brand you know uh, yeah it takes takes a while to create them if you don't have that base you no know? I, I, Nick, nick's absolutely right and i think nick melillo has done a fantastic job of taking that that uh core group of folks that that are his that is cult following as you called it tim and and turning that into a marketing it helps him market but at the same time like he's blown up like i talked about the uh, the top of the show he's blown up in the last 12 months because his Olmec Maduro, which I prefer the Claro over the Maduro, but the, the Maduro was the cigar of the year last year for cigar snobs. And like, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. Like eh, for any, anybody to get a cigar of the year in any of the, the publications, cigar aficionado, cigar snob, um, like that's a, that's a big, that's a big deal. And Absolutely. I think he is, and I'm not saying S Steve Saka isn't like, don't, put those words in my mouth, but I think Nick Melillo is moving. Don't you do is it. moving out of that space of this cult following into a more mainstream uh, cigar following. And um, I, 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 I'm going to predict right now that in the next three to five years, like Nick Melillo will have the same type of success uh, that, that uh, guys like Pete Johnson have seen. Andrew estate where they went from these small absolutely, absolutely. Like, cult followings into these, I, I don't even know if I would consider Tatawahe uh, boutique. I don't know if I would consider Andrew estates definitely not boutique anymore, but they used to be both of those brands used to be. And now they're not, they're mainstream brands. You find them anywhere and everywhere. And I think Nick Melillo is going to be the next one that, that kind of breaks that mold. And I think Sokka is right on his heels. Um, but uh, you know, I think, I think Nick's God, he, dude, Nick is the total package. When, when you talk about someone who can talk about cigars, right? He's a lot like our Nick where super knowledgeable about the industry, but he's also, Wait, what's so funny? Yeah. I don't know why that's, that's so funny, funny, Tim. Why, <laughs> yeah. Why are you so funny? funny? I just like our Nick. He's, he's our, our Nick. Nick. It's our, our Nick. Nick. It's our Nick. <laughs> uh, he's also a student of history. Like, like our Nick said, very much. He is so. a student so. of of the human condition. I think uh, he's just like he's a very spiritual and philosophical guy. Uh, and I told him before when he came on the show in 2019, I, I asked him at the end of the show when we were all done recording. I was like, "Have you ever thought about doing a podcast, like just about history?" He's like, "Yeah, I thought about it. I just don't have time." I'm like, all right, well, that's fair because he's got a great. He's got. He sure as it doesn't have time no, now. That's definitely for sure. have time, but he's got that voice, right? He's got a great voice for radio, and he's got a better face for video than I do. And like, he's just and he's so and passionate, he is, and he's so well spoken. So and um, a lot of these guys that we have had on this year have been very well spoken. A lot of the, a lot of our guests um, have been, but I think Nick is just on a on a different level. He has a knowledge and the passion to go with it and super involved with, with, you know, the folks in Nicaragua, he, he, his handle on Twitter or on Twitter 
on uh, Instagram is Nick R. Agua because he's he's that involved with those folks down there. Like I say, well, that's a that's a clever. It that's is a clever. That thing. is yeah, that and is clever. Nick R. Agua is just and I'm clever. smoking the uh, like the Elwa Wednesday, which is uh, you know wise man um, in uh, I think it's Spanish. That's what they speak in Nicaragua. Um, and, uh, he's, yes. he's just he, in the folks in Ethiopia, like he's very involved with them and Jamaica with the upsetters. Like he is well-traveled, well-spoken. I think Nick Melillo is one of the great spokes people for the cigar industry. And if I want, if I was going to give him any advice, which I wouldn't ever give Nick Melillo advice on anything ever, but if, but you if were. I were, if I were to go down that road. I think he would be a great spokesperson for the industry as a whole uh, when it comes to uh, the FDA, when it comes to uh, regulation and that kind of stuff, because he has, he knows the history of it all and he knows how things work. You know, we, I, I asked him a little bit and I don't remember if this was on the air or, or after, but I asked him a little bit about the pricing of cigars and he was like, you know, all of that cost is on the back end. It's on the distribution side. It's not on the, it's on the front. It's on the distribution side. It's not on the back end. It's not in Nicaragua or the factories or it's. It, well, he did say there was, you know, uh, labor shortages. Sure. And, and you've talked there about There are that. some factors, tobacco, tobacco yeah. costs have gone up, uh, but not at the same level of uh, some of the other things, you know, like most brands were making boxes or some of the higher end boxes from China uh, and that's just become too expensive. Yeah. And it's not the cost of the actual product. It's the transport, the logistics of getting stuff from point A to point B. That has gone up so crazy. So, yeah, costs are there. Um, it's true. Yeah. You know? yeah. And you've said that before. You've right. said that before, Nick, with the labor shortages in, in Nicaragua because of people coming over to Costa Rica because they get paid a couple of dollars more an hour. Than they do in their well, five times yeah, there you as go. much, quite a bit. So yeah, they're they're listen. It's all about the financial, but the reason the shortage is in Nicaragua is because in the last couple of years, especially during the pandemic and and the shortages of food and basic necessities in Cuba that have always existed have only just gone up so exponentially because of the pandemic and all the other things that happened in Cuba at the same time. So the mass exodus that has occurred coming out of Cuba, their point of exit has been Nicaragua. Now, Nicaragua decided to allow Cuban people to come there with no visa. And that is what most countries require a visa, especially from Cuba. Now, I'm talking years ago, the Cuban government used to have to used to be you had to get permission and get an exit visa just to leave the country. Well, they they that went out years ago. But then again, there wasn't many countries that didn't require a visa coming in. I know one was Malaysia, of all places, because I don't know. But who's going to go to Malaysia? You know, first of all, it's an expensive airline ticket and it's on the other side of the world. And that's not where the Cubans wanted to end up. The other big place was Russia and Russia, again, very far away not exactly financially the place where they're looking to try to make a buck and, you know, the land of the free and, and to, to be able to kind of carve out your own, uh, your own little piece of the pie of the, of the, I will say the American dream, but it definitely wasn't the Russian dream. So a lot of people weren't going there. So Nicaragua decided to get rid, decided to get rid of that, that visa requirement. And the big joke was when you would enter into 
into Nicaragua, they would ask you, you know, what is your purpose in Nicaragua? I guess it's a standard question. And they would say, oh, we're here to see the volcanoes. That was the big joke because everybody knew their purpose was to go to Nicaragua and then make the trek and journey from Nicaragua through Central America up through Mexico and then to our southern border and to make it to the U.S. Now, Obama did change the laws uh, where it wasn't, you know, the dry foot, wet foot thing didn't didn't apply anymore. So you had, a, you know, the the immediate given of the residency and, and the the path to American citizenship is not as easy. But once you cross over, you know, that they they just wanted to be in the United States and they dealt with it getting there. And the amount of Cubans that have come over is just crazy, the amounts that over the last couple of years. And so what's happened is the Nicaraguan people said, hey, wait a minute, if the Cubans can do it now, there's no real advantage to being Cuban versus, you know, Nicaraguan in the sense that it's not a guarantee entry and carte blanche into the U.S. So they started doing the same thing. Yeah. They wanted to come to America. So a lot of Nicaraguans and other Central American countries are also and, and of course, we know the Mexicans, they're all coming into our border and with Biden loosening the the, the border uh, without getting political, the amount of people that have come through in the last couple of years has been considerably more than usual. So that's where most of the shortage, I would imagine, is uh, people wise, you know, the work workload. Yeah. Okay, so with all the shortages, uh, the cost of and I, I believe that the cost of transporting goods is ridiculous. But do you yourselves see within the next, I don't know, say five years or so, see the $10 cigar being the now $20 cigar or even One, more? 100%. I think in five years right now, I think the average cigar, uh, you probably could say is around 12 to $14, where it used to be, you know, five, six years ago, you know, eight to 10 was, was more the, the reasonable uh, price. But now it's definitely 12 to 14. I think in five years, Easily 18, you know, maybe even 20, the way things are going. I, I will, I'll say this. I think if that happens, if that's the way things are going, which it does seem to be trending that way, uh, and without getting political, we'll just try to stick to economics. And I think a good person to talk to about this would be Mo from uh, Patina Cigars. But um, if, if things continue to go this way, and, and, and it does, that's going to price a lot of folks out of cigars. Because right now, it's easy for me to justify you know, smoking $40 a day. Like I can do that. Like, I don't want to do the math on that 30, 30 days a month, four cigars. <laughs> it's probably a good idea. Not I don't want to do, do that. Math. Math. Uh, but I can at least, I, I can at least afford it. If it goes to 20 and I was having this conversation with uh, one of our supporters in, in the LE club, uh, Lou cross. Um, and I think I even had it with Chad, one of our new supporters. So shout out to Chad for uh, coming on board the LE club. Appreciate you, brother. Um, you know, look, it, it's one of those things where in the next couple of years, if that's truly what happens, one of two things is going to happen. It's going to price a lot of people out of the hobby and out of the lifestyle, especially those who are buying paycheck to paycheck and not buying. Like, If I can add to that, James, my, I don't think it will. I think what will happen is two things. People will continue to buy the cigars, just less of them. And in the interim, there will be plenty of other cigars that will be available that maybe are not quite as aged, as well fermented, maybe even go to as low as like, you know, the alternatives, 
or, or the machine made even if they have to for people that have an addiction to to smoking sure. cigars because uh, there are those people that chain smoke cigars so yeah they're it's going to be harder for them to chain smoke those twenty dollar cigars but i think they're still going to buy that twenty dollar cigars if that just happens to be the price of what cigars end up being except instead of smoking let's say five a week maybe they'll smoke one a week or or if they normally smoke 10 it'll go down to that five was, so that was my next you, point you know if, that, if it doesn't price them out uh completely what they'll do is they'll they'll start cutting back so instead of me smoking four a day maybe i'll go down to one a day or two a day now you have you have to understand that u.s we're talking those types of prices outside of the u.s you know the cigar or the average cigar price is 50 to a hundred dollars now and you know it used to be like 40 to 50 and it keeps creeping up on the cuban side of things it's like 80 to 100 to 150 for a single cigar americans find that crazy but i i don't want it to happen in in our country but who's to say it you know, if it does see, and that, and and that's just it, there's always going to be because it's, because it's cigars. And we literally, like I said this before, we roll up money and we light it on fire. Um, there are always going to be those that have the disposable income and they're, you know, the economic, you know, uh, realities of, uh, of of our situation don't apply to them. And so they're, they're going to continue to buy and they're going to continue to smoke, but it's interesting, Nick, (coughs) excuse me, that you bring up, uh, outside the U- U.S., where um, you know it, it is much more expensive to smoke uh, cigars and to be in this hobby as it is, and uh, see, and I don't know how much of that is due to Cuba raising their prices three times, you know, three hundred percent in the last few years. Well, or- even before that, James, the taxes is really where the element. Like a cigar that would be ten dollars in the U.S., in Europe, in most parts of the world would start at 40 to $50. And that's due to, not that the cost of the cigars are anymore, but the, but the added tax right. base. And I, I don't know yeah. that we'll ever get to that point in the U.S. where the taxes are so outrageous, at least not in, in flyover country where Tim and I are located, maybe in spots like New York and, and California. Well, it's spots like New York. It already is some of the highest in the country, you know, at 75%. Uh, it's probably one of the highest states. Uh, California is also in, incredibly, again, so the big urban cities and, and the more, uh, you know, the states that are more which, liberal in, in the sense, anti-tobacco. And right, all that. which kind of, you know, goes into, I mean, we could get in, we could do a whole show on that. But, I mean, you get into online sales and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, but, I, like, to answer your question, do I think it's going to, no, I don't. Because I don't think cigar manufacturers want to go that route. I don't think any of I, I don't I think if you sat down with with any of them and said, hey, in 10 years, if it's 20, do you want it to be $20? A cigar? No, they don't want it to be 20 because they know no, they're going to yeah. price people out. And you have you have a brand like McAuliffe, who's putting out a brand new cigar, which is absolutely fire in the McAuliffe Black. That is a sub $10 cigar. And they made a conscious decision to keep it sub $10. So I think you're going to have manufacturers that uh, say, yeah, it's going to be $20 and that's fine. It is what it is. Like, well, like if they look at this point, you, you look at guys like, like let's just take uh, Arturo Fuente. They're always out of stock, right? They're, everything's on back order with them. Everything, right? 
Well, Nick Melillo's Nick, back order on yeah, a lot back, of things like, too. He comes out with something yeah, he, immediately. He did apologize, and for it that. immediately sells out. He did right because he like he knows. Will things sell out like that when you know your average cigar is twenty dollars? Probably not. So it might help manufacturers kind of get a handle on, um, on, on the uh, on the flow of goods, right? So I I don't know. It, it's a it, it's a it's a double edged sword. I, I personally, I hope it doesn't get that high. I hope we're not looking at twenty dollars cigars in the next five to ten years. But odds are, we're probably looking at. Well, ultimately, it's it's going to be falling on the consumers because the 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 business model is you know supply and demand. If they have X amount of supply and they can only make X amount, you can constantly raise your prices to get more profit out of it. As long as you're constantly selling out, but at, when you reach that resistance point where all of a sudden you're not selling or maybe not selling at all or less, then you're either going to have to creep them down or do what you need to do to sell those cigars. So really ultimately falls on the consumer and how they want to things to go as well. I just wonder where that resistant resistance point is <clears throat> because everything is going up and people keep buying. Uh, I think... Uh- I think you're starting to see it. The the retailers that I know that I have talked to, they're having a hard time. Um, They're selling less, but they're, 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 they're still keeping their margins. If that makes sense. So what, what I mean by that is where let's say, let's talk about foot traffic, right? So foot traffic can be down 20% year over year and they're still up in margin. 25% 25% year over year. They're still making more money than they made last year with fewer people coming through the door. Right. Yeah. Fewer people are coming through the door, but when they come through the door, they're buying Correct. more. So it balances but eventually, out. Eventually, eventually it will catch up with one another and it will be, Oh, we're down 45% foot traffic year over year. And now we're also, we're, we're not making any money. We're at, we're, we're, we're level where we were last year. Well, I think the cigar industry will take its, you know, its pointers from the rest of the world. Like I'm always amazed how things have gone up. You know, people are always complaining or saying, hey, you know, prices in, in uh, the supermarkets where I used to be able to for $100 be able to buy, you know, X amount. Now it's like, what? Where did my $100 go? And I only bought three items. Uh, so I think it's on every side or, you know, for a consumer, but people are still buying, you know? Uh, and again, we know that cigars are, are, are a luxury item and obviously not a necessity, but for some like myself, it's always a necessity. So they're going to budget a certain percentage of their income uh, to cigars, just maybe less, but they're going to keep buying and buying what they need to buy the quality that they like and the cigars that they want to buy. So if the prices go up, they're going to buy, you know, just maybe not as many. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, James, uh, you asked Nick uh, if he thought or still considered himself to be a boutique brand. And uh, he kind of gave an answer that to me is more at an organizational level. And so I was kind of wondering uh, how you took that answer or, or what your perception of the answer was. My perception of that answer is that he knows that he is moving out of that space. That's my, that's, that's yes, my perception. but, but okay. I have to say, I, I loved his answer oh, I because, did too. because there's a lot of truth to that. You know, 
there isn't really a definition of boutique. Never has been. You know, there's been some that have been thrown around over the years. Oh, if you do uh, over a million cigars a year, then you're no longer boutique. If you're in more than a thousand shops, then you're no longer boutique. If you're, there is all these, you know, made up criteria. But what he said, if I remember, boutique is a, a mindset, a yeah. passion. I, I forgot what his exact words were, but he's absolutely it, right. Yeah, like it's a place in your heart or something right, like that. Right, right. Boutique generally means that you care about the product that you produce. So even if you produce a gazillion sticks, as long as you have the quality control and the passion behind it, and you're able to gear up and be able to make the amount of cigars that you want without, you know, giving up any of those very fine points of what brought you there, then it's still boutique. So, you know, boutique, everybody likes to use that. Even general, you know, they got on the bandwidth, with you know, on the, on the bandwagon with, <laughs> with that. And, and, yeah. uh, and all these other companies, they see, oh my God, all these boutique, so-called boutique brands are taking market share away from us. Hey, we're boutique too. So they launched their own company within a company and they went on their own little thing doing their thing. Yeah. Right. You know, with, with, you Forge. know, and I've got a funny, uh, funny story about that. I was in, I was at the Safari Cigar in Omaha, Nebraska last year, sometime last year, 2022. And there was a Monte Cristo event going on, right? Altadas. And, um, the, the sales rep was like, Hey, have you tried any? I'm like, Yeah, yeah, I used to smoke, uh, the white series when I first got into the hobby. I said, you know, it was great with a cup of coffee in the morning. I said, but I've kind of moved away from, from that. And I'm, I'm, I'm really focused on boutique. He's like, oh, well, we're boutique. And he starts, and I just, <laughs> I rolled my eyes. I looked at him like, that is not what boutique means. And, and Nick Melillo was right. Boutique, and I've always said this since day one, boutique is quality over quantity. It is not about producing a vast number of cigars. It's not about getting as much market share as you can. It is not about making as much money as you can. Nobody gets into this business to not make money. However. There are those who get into this business, like Nick Squared, like Pete Johnson, who, <laughs> who they have a, a fundamental understanding of the industry. They have a fundamental understanding of what cigars are supposed to be. The great equalizer, right? Brings everybody together. It's supposed to be communal. It's supposed to bring people together uh, over something, uh, over this, over just rolled up dead leaves. That's what it's supposed to do. And they have that fundamental understanding. But they're also business savvy. They have a great palate and they know how to produce cigars. So all of those things come together and it's not, well, if I can buy more tobacco, I can sell a shit ton more and make a ton more money. And then I can do all these things. It's, I want to make sure that what I am producing, no matter what the quantity is, that it's quality. And I, these guys know that when you reach a certain point, like, look, rollers can only roll X amount in a day. And if you bring in more rollers and you train those rollers, it's going to take years for those rollers to reach the proficiency that your current rollers already have because they've been doing it for a while, right? So the quality goes right. down. So, yeah, they could do that, right? Because, uh, you know, uh, the workforce is, is relatively cheap in countries like Nicaragua and in Costa Rica uh, and Honduras. Relati relatively. Relatively. <laughs> compared to the yeah. U.S., Nick. Compared right. to the U.S. Right. Um so they, they know that they could do that, but they also know their quality would go down. They would rather not sacrifice quality for quantity. And I, to me, that is always what boutique means. And so I think 
even because Nick is blown up, like I've said this this whole episode, he really has in the last 12 months. I don't think that he is uh, going to sacrifice that quality just to grab a buck because he knows if he sacrifices that quality, that quality goes down. People are going to notice that they're going to stop buying, which means then he's sitting on a ton of stuff that he can't move and he knows why he can't move it. So why not stay in this spot for as long as I can, right? And look, Alec Bradley kind of set, kind of set the bar pretty high, right? Like I seventy-two million. Like, hey, how much do you think Foundation's worth? Did Alec Bradley? When was the last time Alec Bradley had a cigar of the year? It's been a minute, right? Like Nick's had one. Well, they they've been around for oh, you know 30, thirty years, years right? Too. So. Yeah. You know, if Nick wanted to sell, I'm sure he could get 70 million out of it. But does he want to? Yeah, but, you know, foundation without Nick is uh, unless he plans on just going public and taking a he's got to stay with the company or the company, in my opinion, is Nick. So there's no value. Look at look at Alec Bradley. They kept on Alec and Bradley. Right. I sit down with Bradley on Friday. We're going to have an interview that's coming up in December. Look forward to that, guys. Um they're still with the company. They're they're still with Alec Bradley slash Forge slash STG, right? Yeah. General <laughs> slash STG. Uh, STG. Yeah. Look at uh, look look at uh, they did the same thing with Room One Hundred and One and Matt Booth. He still he still does stuff for them, right? So they're still staying with the with this big company, but now you know they're are they boutique? Is Matt Booth boutique? I would argue he's not as boutique as Nick Malillo. Yeah, but for somebody like Matt, you know, it was a necessary step for him to go that route uh, to save his company in a lot of ways because financially, it's it's quite a it takes it does, a lot, it, you know. You and know? so in his in his case, it was the right move for him to do what he did. I'm not, and I'm know, not, I'm survive. not begrudging these guys their success. You know, the first question I'm going to ask Bradley, like spoiler is why aren't you on a beach sipping a mojito with your dad and your brother? Like 72 million. Like, that's where right. I would be. Right. Uh, and that's because his dad's got the 72 million. You know, but, but still like, that's my first question to him is why, why are you not doing that? Because they still have a passion for what they do. But when you sacrifice quantity for quality, you're not going to make as much money as the bigger guys who can, you know, Throw, like I'm not, I'm not trying to disparage anybody, but there is such a difference between a Cohiba Red Dot and anything Foundation puts out. Miles difference, miles. If you love that Cohiba Red Dot, keep smoking it. I've smoked several Cohiba Red Dots. You know, well, my friend Sean Williams, right? You know, we should get. We him need on to get show. Sean on the show, absolutely. Guy, but like, I, I we, we got to. But make there that are miles of di- difference between them, and they're just different flavor profiles and different tobaccos and. You know, look, when you, this is, this is the best way I think I could, I, I, I can, I can describe this with this analogy. Would you rather have Tim, would you rather go to a grocery store and buy a, a, a pie from, uh, you know, Mrs. Smith or what, what is it, Marie Callender, a Marie Callender pie, or would you rather have your grandmother make you a pie? Oh, I mean, no brainer. I mean, you're going to have your grandmother. To me, that's the difference. That one person. That's, that's the difference. One the of these pie. things. That's what's right. special about one it. of those things is mass produced. Millions of cigars going out, right? And they sell. They're obviously good because they sell. But there's something special 
about small batch, about boutique, because they put their heart and their soul into it. Guys like Nick Melillo and, and Steve Saka and, and Nick Sirius, they put their heart and their soul in. This is my blend. This is my baby. I came up with this. Smoke it. Tell me what you think. And every time, every time without, without almost any exception, maybe one or two, they are infinitely better than the stuff that comes out from, from STG uh, or El Tadis. In my humble uneducated opinion i mean that i mean it's a fair opinion i suppose but now okay oh go ahead nick you want to say something no i I was just going to say it all really comes down to the way you scale up can you do it if you you know if you do it right you can scale up but not overnight because you know you are going to you know, give up, uh, you know, the quality if you go to quantity based. But if you keep the the core elements of what brought you there, I mean, it's it's a tough thing to do. I'm not saying it's an easy task, but I don't think it's impossible. It's just in the way you execute it is what it comes down to. Well said. Now, James, I'm going to bring it up for a guy who has said for a long time that you do not like doing cigar lists like Cigar of the Year and so forth. You mentioned a few times. I've said that a lot. (laughs) That your Cigar of the Year. Is the Senator. So I'm like, okay, is the Senator, right. So I'm thinking to myself, oh, we're going to do a Cigar of the Year list this year. But now everybody knows what number one is. Yeah, spoiler, I don't care. (laughs) I think lists are dumb anyway, man. Like I said this before, I think lists are dumb. However, that said, for all of you people out there that are going to give me shit, rightfully so, because for the last five years, I've said we're never doing a fucking list. Like, we're going to do a list, but I'm not doing a top 25. I'm not doing a top 15. I'm not doing a top 20. I'm not doing a top 10. I'm doing a top five, and that's it. And I don't think I will ever change that. Uh, but I reserve the right to do so because I've already changed my mind on doing the list. But, yeah, the Senator is number one. Look, that's been my number one since I smoked it. Um and I've said, I, I know I've told this story before, so forgive me. But, you know, when I first got my hands on that cigar, it came out in November of last year. And they were getting sent out in two waves, right? The first wave, the, uh, uh, the retailer that I bought it from sent it out. They're friends with me. They said, hey, I'm going to send it to you on the next one. I know you already paid for it. Like, don't worry about it. You're going to get it. I'm like, all right, cool. So I got mine in February. Not a big deal. I can wait a couple months. So I didn't get to smoke it till February this year when it came in. I immediately got a call from um, our our friend and reviewer, author here, simplystogies.com, Randy. And he said, you need to smoke this cigar right now and read my review. I'm like, God damn it. I go, I just got it today. It's right off the truck. He's like, I don't give a shit. I can go out and smoke it. So down here wasn't done yet. So I went and and smoked it in the, in the car. It was probably 15 degrees outside. So I'm in the car in my driveway with the heater on the car running. Like I didn't give a shit. So I'm smoking it and I was blown away by it. And, and famously Randy gave it like a nine, nine, something absolutely fucking ridiculous. And I'm like, no cigars, a nine, nine can't go higher than 10. Like what happens if I smoke something in it two years, it's better than this. Like, give me a fucking break. It's not how this works. So we compromised. We got it down to, I think it was a nine, seven is what it is. And I think mine, I think I gave it a nine, six, nine, five, somewhere around there. It's a very, very good cigar. It is a cigar, like I told Nick Melillo, and like I don't say these things. I know people look at what I say, like, oh, you're just fanboying. 
if it was a shit stick, if I had somebody on who made a shit stick, would I tell them it was a shit stick? No, I would be polite about it. And I would say, yeah, no, it was pretty good. I didn't like it. So I'm, if something's really good, I'm going to tell them it's really fucking good. And the Senator is really fucking good. And the present from presentation to nub, it is, it blew me away. And there hasn't been anything in the last 12 months to come out that has, that has topped it as far as presentation and, and taste and construction. And it really is. It's one of those cigars that shouldn't be an everyday cigar. It should be a special cigar. It should be reserved for uh, an elegant night out. It's a black tie cigar. It is a cigar that you, it's a celebration cigar of the highest order. And there are cigars out there that demand you to pay attention to them. This is one of them because it's not overpowering. It's not going to blow you away with, with pepper and spices and all those things. You might get those things when you smoke it, but it is not going to just uh, attack your senses, so to speak. It is, it is refined. It is nuanced. It is elegant. It is seriously one of the best cigars I've ever smoked. Present, present company included. It, it, it really ranks up there for me with one of those. It just transcends whatever you're doing. You're just like, God damn, this is so good. And I've like full disclosure, I've given more away than I've smoked. I think I've smoked two, maybe three. And I've given away like four or five because I'm just like, you've got to taste this. This is so good. People are like, oh, yeah, it's really good. It's one of those cigars that's just good. Yeah. Nailed it in, from and, every aspect. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say now that you've officially sold all of them that are anywhere in the field yeah, 500, right now. 500, uh, 500 coming out. But it was nice. Boxes. Yeah, I was like, because you've talked about this cigar, I'm like, and I have not had it. And I was like, oh, so then as soon as he said, yep, it's going to be an annual release every November of 500, I was like, okay, so now that's on my radar. I definitely want to try it. So uh, for all of you that And look, I think, I think MSRP is 33. Make sure you save one for me. $36, something like that. And, and, and it really does demand that price. I've smoked a lot of cigars that are 50 to $100. I know, Nick, you probably have too, not including Cubans. Um, that are, that are 50 to a hundred dollars and none of them. And I don't mean this in a bad way. They're good cigars. Uh, the Davidoff, uh, Royal release, good cigar. Like it's a really good cigar, but is it worth a hundred dollars? No. Uh, the Saka unicorn, really good cigar. Is it worth a hundred dollars? No, but this Senator at 33 or 36 dot, whatever. Yes. 100%. Like it's a $40 cigar all day long. And it's worth that price. And when a cigar comes along, that demands you to pay attention to it and demands that kind of price. Like you should probably sit up, pay attention and go, huh? All right. I get it. Like if, if you could buy a $40 cigar like that all day, every day, and look at Bay, Byron, those are $40 cigars, 50, 60, $70 cigars, Davidoff, 40, 50, 60, $70 cigars. This is up there with those. And it is a, it, it's, it's a departure for, for Nick Melillo to come out with a cigar that, that does have that price point. And he nailed it first time around. Like, kudos to him. Like, this, it's a great cigar. Everybody should smoke it. Like, 100%. Everybody should go out. There's 500 boxes coming out uh, in, in this month in November. Find it. Even if you just smoke one. If you're like, I can't afford $36 like, uh, for a whole box. I get it. It's expensive. I think there's 12 in a box. Worth the price of admission. It's really good. Nick, have you, have you tried that yet? Have you tried the Senator? 
I have not. I no, send, looking forward to I, it. I may have to send you one because it's 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 really it's really that good. Do you think you'll ever come out, Nick, with a with a cigar that's thirty or forty dollars? Uh it's not a plan. You know, I, I have one cigar that is priced higher than the other cigars I have, and it's my limited edition. I, I wasn't a big fan of doing limited editions and because for the most part, I feel it's kind of gimmicky and it, it's designed for uh, to command a higher price for those reasons. But in my case, I one of the few times where I have a limited amount of tobacco that I used in that particular cigar in my LE, and that's why it's limited because it truly is limited. Now, I had a container full of tobacco. I didn't have like one bale, so it wasn't like that limited. But at the same time, I wanted people to understand that at some point it's going to go away or if it comes back, it will not be the same because I won't be able to have the same access to the tobacco that I had the, the initial time. So, and that uh, I priced it, uh, it was a couple dollars higher than my other cigars. And, and, you know, it, it was very favorably reviewed out there when it came out and it's still a very good seller and, really and some retailers go, go crazy for it. Um, but you know, I, I don't think, that it's not something I plan on doing in the immediate future. Uh, you know, I'm actually going to the factory in a couple of weeks and going to be working on some new blends for the coming year. But uh, again, it's not the plan, but who's to say, you know, if, if I land on some tobacco that just happens to be so pricey that I have to raise it, I don't see it going to that price. But I think Nick's design of why he did what he did it was a, a culmination of a lot of factors for him to get that price point. It wasn't just the actual cost. He felt that a cigar like that should command that price point for a, a various reasons. And, um, you know, the, at the end of the day, if you only can make X amount and it's going to sell out and it's $33, what did I say before? It's supply and demand. If the demand is there and the supply is limited, what you do is you keep raising that price or put it at a price you think it's going to find the resistance. And I think, you know, time will tell, but I'm sure he's hit it, you know, where a lot of people are probably, oh my God, that's crazy, $33. But if it's a damn good cigar that you have to experience and everyone's going to clamor, there's clearly not enough out there for every cigar smoker to try even just one. So I think I'll have no problem selling it at that price. Point. Yeah. And, and, and the a black tie cigar. And, and, the, and, and the presentation like he talked about the box, uh, the making of the box uh, with Lord Carnarvon and the 100-year the anniversary of, you know, finding King Tut's tomb and all of that. I mean, it's going to be a little bit more expensive just because of the presentation and the amount of work and detail that goes into that box. I mean, on hieroglyphics, they have, what is it, uh, the senator in hieroglyphics or foundation or? Well, the, 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 what we said in the, in the interview was, you know, the attention to detail, how they used real hieroglyphics to spell out, you know, it wasn't just throwing some symbols on a box. I mean, yeah. everything had meaning. The people that he uses that have been doing, he said his friend, uh, his artwork and, and the marketing behind it, there's a lot of attention to details at every level. So, you know, kudos to him to, to being that meticulous about it. I think you would have to be, especially if you're talking about a cigar in the $40 price range, somebody's going to take a look at that who does know, like, there's got to be somebody out there that's going to smoke that, that can look at that box and be like, that's complete gibberish. It doesn't make sense. Well, look, there's plenty of brands out there. Some come to mind right away that are in that crazy price range and higher. And, and, you know, 
James's favorite word is the smoke and mirrors that he that he talks about. Yeah, and, we heard and, that term a lot. Yes, we did during the Lorendi interview, and um, it's very true. This this industry is a lot. I have to agree with him. A lot of smoke and mirrors, and certain brands more than others. Uh, it frustrates me because I'm not a big fan of that, but it exists and it sells cigars, unfortunately. Uh, but at the end of the day, it comes down to what the consumer thinks. And, you know, you smoke one of these super expensive cigars from these brands that, in my opinion, do not justify the cost and all the bullshit that's behind the marketing of those cigars. And, and those cigars will fizzle out, you know, and, and in certain brands, they started super high and then realized uh, it's not really working and now have come out with lesser, not lesser quality. I think it's the damn same cigars that they're putting out, but now they're they're putting it at a lesser, uh, you know price point. So yeah, you know, those brands are going to have hard times and there's going to be brands like McMalillo stuff that are going to be, you know, worth the money, you know, it, whether, you know, and in my opinion, some people, maybe not, but you know. it, it, it's, it's interesting to talk about the smoke and mirrors of the, uh, of the industry. And we, we, we've been talking about the, the price of cigars and, and the cost involved with them. And I feel like if in the next five to 10 years, costs do go up, and, and, and your average cigar is now $20. I feel like the smoke and mirrors that this industry has uh, for a large swath of this industry is going to collapse because people are going to say $20 for this, for this, mm. you know, and that smoke and mirrors will collapse. And I feel like you're going to see a lot of manufacturers fade away and you're going to be left or real back or, or real back. Uh, um, but either way, you're going to be left with this core group of cigar manufacturers that really have a stranglehold on the industry, especially in the U S and I don't know if that's good for anybody, but especially the industry. Yep. I agree. Well, gentlemen, we're, it's about that time. And I know that James hates this, <laughs> but, uh, it is. And I do want to point out that if you were not on the last episode of uh, After Dark, if you were not on the last episode of After Dark, which is every uh, the first Friday of every month, uh, that is something that we do with our uh, LE Club members that you can watch on YouTube and uh, Facebook. We got that fixed. Uh, the next one will be December 1st. And if you want to jump on and be a part of the show, then uh, that is... What, $10 a month, $100 a year, I believe, Jesus James? Christ, let me go into this. $10 a month, $100 a year. You, too, can join the LE Club and support a small podcast and support all the things that we do here. Uh, for you, the audience, uh, just go to simplystogies.com at the top. Click on LE Club. Click on register. $10 a month, $100 a year. That's it. That is the minimum bar of entry. You, too, can join us uh, on the first Friday of every month and hang out with us. Uh, you can ask us questions about uh, whatever podcast we've done. Uh, we're going to give you the skinny on uh, what's coming up. We'll talk about what we did uh, and everything we've got going on uh, first Friday of every month, or, or you can just watch it. You don't even, you don't have to support us that way. Just listening and telling your friends is enough, but we do appreciate any financial monetary support that you can give us uh, because doing this, it ain't cheap, baby. It ain't cheap at all. It is uh it is expensive, not to mention the amount of time uh, that my co-host Nick puts into this uh, very graciously, um, free of charge, I might add. He doesn't charge me any money uh, to be my friend, which is great. 
because a lot of my friends do charge me money to be friends with them. Uh, but Nick doesn't, um, which is great. And Tim isn't anybody's yet. friend. Yet, yet, not yet. But Tim will never charge me money. <laughs> I, I may start charging Tim. I send you a bill every month and you never pay it. <laughs> never. But come hang out with us. The first Friday of every month, it's always a good time. Uh, this new thing that we're trying with the uh, with the lives. And uh, I, I think it'll stick. I don't know. Maybe not. I'm already getting sick of Tim. So who knows? Fantastic, bro. What else do we got coming up here on the uh, Simply Stogies podcast? Because we got quite we do. A bit. We've got uh, the the next episode that you'll see next week is with uh, John Lorendi and Adrian Marahaj from uh, Peter James Company. Maharaj. Maharaj. Yeah, Jesus Christy, I'm just slaughtered that guy's name. I feel so bad. I'm so sorry, Adrian. I'm so sorry. Uh, but that was a great conversation. Uh, then the week after that, look forward to the clear of the air, which. Um, you know, just to kind of let you know how the sausage is made. We're going to be recording here in about five minutes. Um, so stay tuned for that. And then coming up in the month of December, we've got the interview with Bradley Rubin, uh, which I sit down with him Friday at Capital Cigar Lounge and talk to him. We'll talk about the, the uh, buyout from STG, what it's like working for the man now instead of his dad. And um, all those fun things, get his take on all of that and see what's coming up for Alec Bradley uh, in, in the next year. Uh, and then after that, Charlie Minato on the 15th of December. That will be our year in uh, 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 show. Uh, and then the CTA, the clear of the air, where we talk about Charlie behind his back uh, and then put it out for everybody to listen to. Hell yeah. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it should be a good time. I can't actually believe, I can't actually believe the lineup that we have for the, for the end I of the year. I can't wait. So at the beginning of the year, the first, the first couple shows, uh, the first podcast coming up January 1st, uh, and then the clear of the air, uh, January 8th, we're going to be talking about the year in like the year in review and then a look forward. And this year, I know I've said it before, but the, this year has been a great year for guests. We've had a, a fantastic year. We added Nick to the show, which has just added some legitimacy and a wealth of knowledge that I do not have. Uh, and, and Nick's awesome. Uh, did a great job at the, at the trade show. Um, we added this stupid fucking show that we do that everybody seems to love. I don't understand fucking why, but Tim did it. I nailed it. I guess fucking secret sauce. Fuck off, Tim. Um, a lot of great guests, Pete Johnson, Nick Melillo, Charlie Minato, Bradley Rubin, uh, Coop, Jose Blanco. Um, uh, just, I know I'm missing a bunch of people. John Lorendi, like we just a ton of great guests that have a lot of great insight into this industry. And we do it for you, the audience. So thank you very much for, um, for supporting us and, and watching us uh, even on YouTube and Rumble if you are so inclined, but listening to us and, and uh, all your feedback throughout the year. It's, been, it's really been a great year. So I'm looking forward to that show the beginning of January uh, where we look back and then on the 8th where we kind of look forward for that CTA, that clear of the air where we look forward. So, All right. From this episode to next episode, James, what do you want everybody to do? I don't know. Smoke, smoke the good shit. I don't know what I want. Oh, smoke, smoke the good shit. Oh, I know. You want me to get it. out of here. That's it. Guys, thank you so much for, for uh, tuning in for this episode of Clear the Air, the secret sauce of Simply Stogies. Uh, Nick is somewhere around here. Thanks, Nick, for, for hanging I'm out. There's, there's Tim. Nobody gives a shit. Uh, and I'm James. Until next time, stay smoky, friends. <laughs>